0: Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. As I referenced earlier, this will be our final uh, sermon from this letter. That should have probably got a cheer as loud as the chair cheer, but uh, you know, most you know, maybe it hasn't worn on for you guys. But for the preacher, after a while and in one, in one letter, you're glad to move on. Um, it's a really good uh, chapter we'll read in just a moment, uh, the verses we're going to look at. One of the number one questions, I think, on everyone's mind as you interact right now when you are out and about is, what are you doing for the summer? Like, what are your travel plans, right? That question's come up several times, and uh, I'm not a good planner. So for me, I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, some of you are really good. You've known for, like, years. Like, in the summer of 17, we're going. Paul is giving his travel plans. And and you might think, well, why are we going to study that? Why not just jump past that? Uh, I don't know why this illustration came to my head, but you know when a tornado ropes out, you think, oh, that's over. The power is gone. The thing is over. I bet if you were to walk underneath where that tornado was at that moment, it would still have a ton of energy, a ton of power, right? Uh, that's, I don't know. That's a visual image. We're roping out of 1 Corinthians, but there's a, there is a lot of information in this little bit, and we know that Paul teaches, even by the way he gives his plans, Okay? So we're going to look at that. And um, there's a lot of ways you could preach this little tiny passage, verses 5 through 12 of chapter 16. But what we're going to look at this morning is, God, how do you know God's will? So I'm just going to throw that out there. So as we read this, you're like, where is he getting that from here? Uh, it's in your head. Uh, so I'm going to now read First Corinthians 16, verses 5 to 12. Paul says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia... And perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Uh, Even in travel plans, you are sovereign. Thank you for Paul's wisdom. And I pray, Lord, we would learn from these verses and other places that we look at this morning, what it would mean to understand your will a little better for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Really, the the, the theme of, of that passage for me is partnership. Paul understands very, very well he is a partner with his Heavenly Father. And I think he's ending this way for many reasons, but one reason is the Corinthians have really lost sight of that connectedness, that partnership with their Heavenly Father. This entire letter really, remember it began with Paul telling them that he had heard there were divisions in that church. And so even from the very beginning, there was, and remember the divisions were um, different groups, different factions, who maybe they weren't at war, but they would say things like, I follow this guy. Oh, no, 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 we don't follow his teaching. We follow this person's teaching. And they begin to kind of move away from each other and losing their unity. And so that created this autonomy, or it was the result of an autonomy, a personal, I've got this. And, and the reason I wanted to talk through God's will is Paul really is showing to a people that he may or may not come. It's a very interesting thing. We're going to dig into that. And it reveals that maybe they don't understand how to know God's will. And I'll, and I'll hope to point that out as we go along. And if I don't, then it wasn't God's will. right? So, what, how do we understand God's will? The goal this morning is this. The Corinthians are glorious ruins. Right? We've been saying all week long, they are messy. All, all uh, year long, they are messy. And you and I are messy. Yet we're glorious. We're made in the image of God. He's redeemed you and I with his spirit, and he's remaking us. And so there's this tension we live in. And what we have to do in the midst of that tension is recognize God's will. And how do we do that? As people who are sinful, as people who are broken, as people who have a chasm between us and God. And what we'll hopefully see is we are going to learn how to partner with the Father's will for our lives. Okay? So some of you have big decisions looming. Maybe this will help. Some of you, you're past all the big decisions and you wonder if there's anything in this that's helpful. Hopefully we can tease out some of these things so we know better how to understand God's will. Okay, so here we go. And I'm not really giving points. I'm just going to kind of walk through this idea. Paul says in this passage, if you want to just summarize it, I'm coming to visit you. Right? If there was an impatient Corinthian, they I don't want to hear the letter. Is he coming or not? You would say, yeah. Yes, Paul is coming. He says right here, he's coming to visit us. Great. Can't wait to see him. 2 Corinthians, the next letter, he says that he is not going to come. And he, and he actually says, many of you, uh, I wanted, he says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. So that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. and have you send me on my way to Judea. He's repeating the very plans he didn't follow through. And and what it does, as you read on, is it it shows that the Corinthians felt like maybe he's not an apostle. Like Paul, who says he's coming and then doesn't come, must not be who he says he is. Now we're going to look a little bit closer. It's a little like parents where you say, you know, we might get ice cream. And then later when you don't, what is the, you know, you said we're going to get ice cream. Well, let's look at this. If Paul say he was going to visit, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. Yeah, he seems to say it. I intend to pass through Macedonia. Okay, he's getting a little wishy-washy. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey. Verse 7, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope. Do you hear the uh, iffiness in this language? I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. So here you have God. you have Paul saying, I may come to you and I may not come to you. Why would he be doing this? Remember the Corinthians recently in this letter, <clears throat> he had just told them about spiritual gifts. And they really believe that if you are in Christ, you should have these amazing supernatural gifts, one of which is the gift of knowledge. And so when it comes to God's will, I just want to kind of work through that. I think this is an opportunity to deal with this topic, because there's not a lot of them in the scriptures. I feel like this is the place to do it, and I have some things I want to share with you. What are the errors? We're going to look at the two common errors when it comes to God's will, okay? Now... Does anybody I just honestly want to show up hands. Does anybody feel like they have an ironclad understanding of how God's will works? Oh, I even got la- I didn't anticipate laughter. I anticipated like one or two people like Garrett, come on now. You wanted to raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. Shane did too, but you know, Shane's going to be the better, you know. He knew the trick. The first error is this idea that you can know perfectly what God wants you to do at every moment of your life. Okay? Does that make sense? The the theory would be something like this. If I'm in God's will, and I'm walking with God, and I'm doing things correctly, I should be able to know whether or not I'll go to this school, date this person, have this occupation, etc., etc., etc. And I'm going to now take that error, because it is an error, and say, let's talk about the supernatural side. Many of us do this with supernaturalism. It's mostly a young man's game or young woman's game, right? It's ironic. You know, the, 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 uh, it's a wonderful life. The old man's like, kiss her already, you know? Ah, youth is wasted on the young. Well, unfortunately, passion and supernatural views are wasted on the young. Right at the time where you have to make all your major decisions. Because by the time you get all your wisdom, you know, 42, uh, or maybe 60, there's no more decisions to make. It's like, now that I've got wisdom and I understand how God's will works, I mean, okay, which Roth IRA? You know, what, you know, what, a? Uh, which home do we settle in for the final 20 years? Okay. Sorry, that was a little bit negative. At the young age, what is it? It's like occupation, college, marriage, everything's there. And what do you do often if you're in, in if you're a vibrant Christian? You sort of try the golden fleece method, right? You know, you put out the, you know, how's God going to do it? One pastor I was listening to said, Uh, a woman in his congregation said, I'm going into missions because I tested God. When the milkman came, this has been some time ago, I told God if the milkman leaves two bottles of milk, I'm going into missions. If he only leaves one, then I know I'm not to go into missions. And he left two. And the pastor interviewed her a little bit, you know, asked her some questions. And the question was this, uh, has the milkman ever left two bottles of milk on accident? Oh, yes, yes, quite frequently he leaves two bottles of milk on accident. And all of a sudden, it began to unravel that she had sort of set up her own supernatural litmus test for whether she should go into missions. So I think one way we think, okay, I should know God's perfect will for my life is a test, right? Other ways we do it, I think, are just by sort of confidence. Like, or even like voices in your head. You know, God told me. I'm supposed to do this, and when someone says that, what do you do? You're like, "Well, there's no arguing." You know, I guess you are the next American Idol. I did not know. That God told you, uh, we, but where in Scripture might we find a, a refutation a to that? And it's here. It's in uh, our passage. First of all, I think where Paul shows he's not certain. Right? Paul's not certain. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he's uncertain whether he's going to come back. It could have been a trick. But we know in other places, Paul has uncertainty. To live as Christ, to die is gain. He's, even, he's not sure if I'm going to live longer or not. I don't know all the details. As an apostle, Paul certainly had some supernatural inclinations that you and I don't have, insights. But not everything. And he wasn't even certain he was going to come back to Corinth. How about the book of James? There's a very famous place in James Now, James' point isn't to simply add the word if the Lord wills. His point is partner with the Father. Recognize that you cannot take your next breath if it's not a gift from God. And so if you are going to go forward in a journey, or or you think God's will is such and such, recognize that it's simply your understanding. You're not certain it's God's will. Does that make sense? So that's the, the big error we're trying to deal with is this idea that you can know the exact thing you're supposed to do, okay? But I want to back up now and do some, I don't know, things I've never done before. I'm taking an aside in the sermon, okay? And we're going to talk about God's will in a larger scale. What does it even mean, God's will? Uh, There are different categories for God's will. One category is his secret will, right? That is what we don't know. That's a category of God's will. Another category of God's will is his revealed will, which we know from Scripture, right? So, for example, his secret will, we don't know if it's going to rain, if there's going to be tornadoes when they said there's going to be tornadoes, is the car going to start, we don't know any of that. His revealed will is, if storms are coming, I should protect my family. Right? I should love my neighbor as myself. I should follow Scripture. That's a general or revealed will that we follow. The third category is what we've been talking about and we'll come back to again is for my particular life. Like, what am I supposed to do? If the general will would be protect your family, particularly, I should probably find a shelter. Like, where is the shelter I'm going to go to when that tornado's bearing down that Highway 51? Okay, we have one in the garage. Got it. That's our particular will. But, Those are not necessarily written in stone, right? What if I chose instead, on second thought, to go to the neighbor's? It's better than mine. That's okay, too, right? Did I have sin? No. Do You see what I'm saying? This is not ironclad. Okay. I'm I'm losing you. This is risky. Let's keep at it. Let's try it. Do you all get the will of God? Like, do you all hear this out? Um, Recently, the reason I'm bringing this up is recently I saw this on Facebook, and this is where I'm, 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 I'm fearful of this illustration. Uh, it's a local politician, uh, and it's got a lot of international news. And if you are really, really aware of what I'm talking about, then I apologize, because I'm probably going to offend you. But a state representative, uh, two state representatives, one local, and one from another part of our state, are at the Capitol, and they're debating an abortion bill, of which I haven't read, I don't know, and I'm not gonna sit here and tell you, although I believe abortion is wrong and sin, and that's in the Bible, I don't know the bill. That's not my point. The point is, the guy putting forth the bill from like Muskogee is sitting there saying, it's God's will, and he's talking about God's will. And he got in over his head, okay? Be careful, don't get in over your head. Don't argue God's will on the floor of the state capitol if you don't know what you're even talking about. So this representative, I'm not gonna say any names, so let me ask you a question. I want to know, and I bet some of our esteemed colleagues want to know, is it God's will for there to be incest and rape? Now, do you hear what he's doing? See, the, pro- the point is, whatever the legislation is, it must have said no matter what circumstances, you can't have an abortion. Okay. And it probably even cited those two situations. And probably it referenced God's will. But when this other person asked him, is it God's will, he was in over his head. Right? He didn't, I hate to say it, he should have just said, time out, I'm not a theologian, I don't feel comfortable talking about theology, I just want to discuss the merit of the bill, can we go back to that? Instead he decides, I'm going to answer this question, because I'm a Christian. And you know what he said? Yes internet boom it's actually a a UK uh, United Kingdom website found it it's gone everywhere it's viral and people are getting these like are you Oklahomans crazy you think God wants incest and rape to happen is that God's will how would you answer that the answer that I wish he would have said is no no God does not want there to be incest or rape. That is a man problem. God rescued us from those things, right? Where is the error? And I'll talk more about that as we go, but where is the error? The error is what what the representative locally was saying. Does God like this? this? Is this his personality? Is this what brings him pleasure? And the other person was simply answering, is God sovereign? That's all he's answering. Is God sovereign? Right? And that's, this is where it gets very, very challenging because the truth is the Bible teaches God is sovereign. Psalm 139. And there are other places. This is the one I'm choosing for this discussion. Oh, Lord, David says, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And he goes on, and what you find there and many, many other places is God is completely in control. He's completely sovereign, right? That's over here on this side, yes. But does that mean that God delights in sin or even causes sin? 100% no. Now here's where you're going to run into a problem. When we try to answer questions the Bible's not answering, right? One of my favorite verses, uh, it's a great one to learn as a young person because you can just throw it out. Anytime you can't answer a question. Deuteronomy 29, 29, this is what you say when you can't answer a question. Ready? The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. So the point is this. Just because you and I can't construct a philosophy to unite the two sides doesn't mean they're not both completely correct. And in fact, we do great damage when we try to do that. Here's an example. Can you explain the humanity of Jesus as well as the deity of Jesus both being 100% true? Because the first three councils were, were gathered to deal with heresies that were trying to do that. They were going, like, let's get together because somebody said he's not really God. And another group, no, 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 he's fully God, but he's not really a man. It's like a suit. These are wrong theologies. Quit trying to mesh it together. Embrace mystery. For example, okay, so God is sovereign, and, and something really bad happened in my life, and I don't want to believe God would have anything to do with that, which is understandable. So I'm just going to say, I know what I'm going to say. God somehow is not 100% in control. There's like one percent, one sliver, and that was one of those moments where he was just a little bit not in control. Is that helpful? Have you ever read a story about the parent who loved the child in a car in the heat? Well, to be honest, that parent wasn't completely to blame. I mean, the heat was there. You know, the, the checkout line was longer than that. No, it's negligence. It's wrong, right? You don't, you don't just simply explain it away. So to remove God's power and limit him to make sure you want to hold on to this other side is not helpful. So where are we going with all this? Somehow, in a way we can't comprehend, God is 100% sovereign in his secret will. And we'll never know that secret will this side of heaven. Okay? On the other hand, he has revealed his character and what he's wanting and his love. And I think that one of the best places of that example is in the story of Joseph, right? Joseph is taken into captivity, uh, his other brothers wanted to murder him. One brother speaks up and says, no, let's just send him into captivity. They were jealous of his standing, and um, he, he goes off, and he, the father thinks he's dead. And guess what happens? Just a long, I'm just shortening this up. They've been doing this all year in youth group. I'm going to shorten it up. He becomes the second in command in Egypt. Okay? Joseph is in charge of everything that's the pharaohs. A famine shows up. His own family comes begging, essentially, for help, not realizing it's Joseph. Once they reconnect, he brings them into Egypt, and they flourish for a long, long time until eventually the Israelites are put into captivity, leads us to the Exodus, leads us into the Old Testament spreading of the kingdom, and then finally to Jesus, right? The Savior of the world. And what does Joseph say? How does he interpret the events of the brothers? Most of you know the answer. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So whatever your view of God's will, when it comes to secret will and revealed will, we can never lose sight of the fact that God is good. God is good. God is the one that rescues. Uh, I heard a pastor, and this was just, I didn't even, wasn't even looking for this snippet. Uh, this pastor uh, apparently travels around and deals with philosophical questions and one of the ones that comes to him all the time is, how can a good God let evil things happen? And in a very beautifully eloquent way, this pastor says, let me guess. It's a kind of a humorous interaction. He said, let me guess, you have had one semester of philosophy. And said, yeah, how would you know? Because that's the kind of question one semester of philosophy students ask. And he goes on to say, but I'm not going to answer your question. You need to ask it correctly. I worked, like, for all week. And, of course, the question was asked much more eloquently than I stated it. But then the pastor says, here's the question you should have asked. Why would a holy and righteous God, why would that holy and righteous God let you, a sinner, have one more breath? Can you tell me that answer? If there's a righteous God and you, who are not perfect, exist, why is he even letting you have one more moment on this planet and not crushing you instantly? And the answer is Jesus, right? God is a beautifully glorious God who rescues his children and sends Christ to die for us. That is God's will. And now I'm going to bring it back to the second error. This is, that was my interlude. Okay, we're going to close up with the second error. Here's the second error where I think most of us in this room have drifted the first error when it comes to God's will for our lives is I've got to know it perfectly, okay? Either through like some sort of a supernatural means or sort of self-confidence. I just know it's God's will or something like that. Or we finally get burned out on that. We get a few years behind us and we're like, you know what, I don't even care, right? Anyone in that camp? What do I mean? Well, no, no, I care. I'm going to do all the stuff in the middle, the revealed will, right? I go to church. I don't murder, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I'm going I'm to do that. But when it comes to, like, vacationing and occupations and these kinds of things, how many kids I'm going to have or not have, or all the different questions you think you're going to solve, eh, I'm over trying to figure that stuff out. You can't know that, right? Um, and the answer is sort of, Right? Sort of. There was a book written called Decision Making and the Will of God. A very good book. Very, uh, kind of written in a little bit of an academic way, but it's dealing with this same topic. And he refutes the former error that you can know particularly, but he swings so far over that it really does make it sound like, I mean, I guess I'll go Folgers instead of Starbucks. And I don't know. Who cares, right? And then the answer is yes, that's right. That's the point I want you to understand. That is true. God doesn't care if you drink a Folgers or Starbucks, unless by buying the Starbucks you're taking money out of your children's mouth. Something like that, right? God doesn't care whether you're a doctor or a lawyer. I've heard that before. Sometimes John Stone and others have said that, only Shane knows who that is. And it sounds so, their point is this, if all things are equal, God is leaving it completely up to you. And I believe that. Now, more than likely, it's not all equal. Doctor or lawyer, for example. Well, oh, my dad wants me to be a doctor. I really want to be a lawyer, but my dad and his dad and his dad were doctors. Okay, not all things are equal now. Now we're getting into some motivational issues and some other areas. If all things are equal, right, just pick. Emily, the hardest decision she had to make of her life, OU or OSU. It was weeks, bless her heart. I'm like, I, I'm a UCO guy, freshman year. I'm like, I don't know. To choose one either way i'm driving an hour someone finally looked at her and said god doesn't care so she went to ou <laughs> and the rest is history right every now and then we kick ourselves i would have probably followed her here i followed her there so we probably could have both been in Stillwater. but then you would have known me and never hired me and <laughs> anyway So, if this is true, then what do you do? How do you determine God's will if if it is sort of he doesn't care? Well, he cares. He really does care. But the point is, you are free within his sovereignty to make your decision. Uh, There was a Princeton theologian that said, God foreordains the free acts of his people. That there's something about your ability as a human made in the image of God and dwelt by the Spirit Fulfilling the creation mandate that gets to make a decision. Assuming you're not sinning. Right? Okay. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to close with some practical advice on, okay, so what do we do as Christians then in dealing with the will of God for our particular life? I think there are five areas we can work on. And they're all going to be couched in this idea of partnering with the Father, which Paul has clearly done. He's clearly... He's... Whatever the Lord wants, right? Secondly, prayer. He's, everything's bathed in prayer, okay? So what are we praying and what are we doing? The first thing we're doing is five things. That's the caveat. Partner, prayer, caveat. Your mind. Bringing your mind before the Lord, right? In Romans 12, a very famous passage, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect paul 's not saying you 'll come up with the perfect solution, but if my mind is being renewed consistently in Christ, then oftentimes the decision will be easier to make because i 'll be more aware of my sinful proclivities or the things that i 'm sort of blind to if i 'm not walking with Christ that makes sense so. The renewal of the mind through prayer and partnership with the Father. Another one, number two, that's one. Number two is Scripture. The psalmist in Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who does not do all this awful stuff, but rather, what? Dwells in the counsel of the Almighty, who seeks the counsel of God, who meditates on his law night and day, who chews on it. What's he doing? What's that person doing? Taking Scripture, general general revelation, And and meditating, like, what would that look like in the workplace, in the marriage, in parenting, right? What would it look like when I face difficult questions or ethical issues? So, Scripture. Thirdly, the church, being involved in the church. uh, In this passage, which I know we have not referenced a tremendous number of times, but you. You can't get through this passage without noticing Paul is constantly aware of his partnering with the church. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, another church. I intend to go through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you. I'm going to live with you. You and I, church, right, and spend the winter. I'm going to spend time together. You're going to send me on my way wherever I go to do what? Plant churches or visit churches. And then Timothy is coming and Apollos. It's all this connectedness. And the question I would just simply ask you is this. How connected are you not to this Sunday morning worship, but to people in this church? Like when something happens in your life, is there anybody from this congregation, you're like, I need to talk to them. I want to share this with them. I want to rejoice with them. I want to weep. I need someone to come weep with me or pray with me. Those are relationships I can't form for you. But you have to form those yourself. Primarily on the city. No, sorry. Um, how do you form those situations? Are you developing those relationships? Is church a meaningful way to seek counsel and determine God's will in your life? More often than not, what I find is people just simply say, We're moving. Whoa, you didn't to give me a chance to talk you out of that, you know? Call. What's happening? No, no, I'm kidding. Um, the point is not to talk you out of moving, but are you sharing your life in such a way? that these difficult decisions you're making are with insight and wisdom from dear brothers and sisters in this church, and prior churches, in the church universal. Fourthly, the conscience. Okay, we have the mind, Scripture, church, the conscience. How do I know God's plan for my life? The conscience, right? Uh, all through 1 Corinthians 8, with food sacrifice to idols, Paul deals with the conscience. But the point is, If your conscience is saying run red alert and you say well I don't see any sin I don't see any problem here you might need to run I'm not saying you have to I'm not saying it's it could be a your conscience could be wrong but again sometimes God uses your conscience to show you this is not a good idea investment decision partner whatever it is sometimes it's the conscience and finally and lastly and I know you're all so excited to be done with this discussion What are your present circumstances? So as you think about your life and you're trying to figure out, you know, like Paul's travel plans, how am I making decisions, what are the present opportunities and situations you have, right? So, obviously, if you're in a marriage, you're probably not going to go spend the summer by yourself at the beach, right? Because you're in a marriage. Or if you have children, you might need to think about what you're doing in light of the children, Okay, if you have a job, you don't just call in and say I'm going to take off for a while, boss. It takes takes young people a while to learn that, you know. You kind of need to. Aaron will tell you he had to go work in children's church, but some of his employees might sometimes just say, you know, I'm just not coming in for a while. Deal with it. That's not okay. Okay. So what are your current opportunities? What are the obligations you've made? What situation are you in uh, that makes you have God's will sort of spelled out for you? That makes sense? Okay. Anyway. Maybe <sighs> got some clapping in the back. The sermon is over. Yay. I did, I, I, as I prayed through this passage and looked at it, I, I believe we need to better understand God's role in our life. And here it is. That's it. We are called to live out in light of our daily lives. I think these five areas help the mind, scripture, church, conscience, and our present situations. As we are walking with Christ, but you will not know every single answer to every single question. And that's okay. That's part of being a Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your will. Thank you for the fact that you keep so many things secret from us because we are not fit to handle any more than you've already given us. We struggle to handle what you've already given us, Father, and yet we ask for more. Teach us to be content with what you've shown us in our own lives and in our own world through your scripture. And teach us to go deeper and deeper into those means and to accept the fact that you are our good, good Father. And no matter what happens, no matter how tragic, Lord, you are not the author of sin. Help us embrace that and believe that. Help us be the voice of reason in so many people's lives as they make difficult decisions or wrestle with your will. Help us be priests to the world around us in this way. Amen.